Thank you for listening to this episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, a resource for replanters by replanters. If you enjoyed this episode or found it to be helpful for you and your ministry, please help us get the word out by subscribing, sharing, and leaving us a review on your favorite podcast listening platform. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital. 180 Digital is a team of design, development, and marketing experts that love working with churches, big and small. Check out 180.church, O-N-E-E-I-G-H-T-Y.church to learn more about how 180 can help your church move forward. Do you guys remember when streaming stuff started? What's the first show you watched like on demand, not live when it came on TV, not recorded on your VHS or laser disc, but like you, what's the, what, all right, I'll rephrase. What's the first show you ever binge watched? At least so by binge watched three or four episodes, at least all in one sitting. I'll go first. Yeah, go first. Heroes. Yeah. Heroes. It okay. was, it was, it was good for my marriage. We had just moved to New Orleans and I did not have a job. And my wife had a job, but she hated it. And so what we would do in the evenings, I would, I would in the day try to find work and do seminary. It took me a few months to find some good, decent work. And I would, I would, I did mystery shopping. I sold stuff on Craigslist. I did all, anything that was legal and I could make money, I did it. <laughs> I mean, I sold plasma, the whole thing. Oh gosh. Wow. The only bright spot in our day is when we would get our kids to bed and we would watch Heroes. Mm-hmm. And that was on Netflix, actually. was At, at that time, Netflix had the on-demand next day like Hulu does, where you'd watch it the next day. And so we had started binge-watching Heroes. What about you guys? What, what, did, what was the first thing you ever binge-watched? I think it was Psych. Oh, what a good show. I think Psych. Psych. That's a man. Sean Spencer. What a guy. I know, man. And Gus. What, I was actually talking to, to Meredith just the other night about the fact that I so we don't we don't watch a lot of TV anymore and I did you hear about her, Pluto? It's messed up man. <laughs> <laughs> I told her I what? actually miss a quote I miss Burton Guster yeah like, I just, out of nowhere I told Meredith I was like I really miss I miss Guster yeah I have no I idea what you guys are talking about yeah you gotta watch Psych man well, yeah, yeah you need to watch it now alright alright so what about you first show Friday Night Lights Friday Night Lights Texas okay, Forever yeah Clear Eyes Full Hearts can't lose. Can't lose. Oh, yeah. So Can't my lose. my daughter, oldest daughter, was a senior graduating and about to go to uh, college in Dallas. And so somehow we got on Friday Night Lights. Now I had a I had a replanter trauma moment in watching Friday Night Lights. And here here's the replanter trauma moment. You know, at the end of one of the seasons when Coach Taylor is fired from the Dillon Panthers, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he has to go coach now the East Dillon Lions. Mm-hmm. I remember that. And at the end of that episode, after he walks out of the school board you know, meeting or whatever it is, he gets fired. He and Tammy Taylor, they walk to the East Dillon football field, which looks like a ramshackle place that's half junkyard, <coughs> truck pull arena, yeah. and broken down football stand. And he and his wife are on the 50-yard line. They're facing the broken down press box. 
and they have their arms around each other. And I looked at my wife and said, that's exactly what we've done in replanting this church. <laughs> I left a big, I left a big multi-site church yeah, with like, yeah. that was the Dillon Panthers. And I yeah. went to the East Dillon Lions. Yeah, that's so funny. And can I say that my first year was about as bad as Coach Taylor's first year? I believe it. Yes. I believe it. You know, the, the theme song to Friday Night Lights oh, love it. is one of my favorite songs to listen to while studying. Yeah. It's called, it's called Your Hand in Mine. Yeah. By explosions in the sky. I have it on my playlist. Yeah, I mean it's 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 one of the most enjoyable instrumental electric guitar songs to just sit there and listen to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I tell you what, I think at this point you've you've convinced me I need to get a screenshot of that moment. Yes. And start printing them and handing them to all of our new prospective church players. Be like, here you go, buddy. Just yeah, this in your office. Make a youth group postcard and give it to us. <laughs> Make a youth group postcard. That's it. All right. Well, you have, if you are listening, you've joined us for part two of the Netflixification of the church with our resident missiologist, Keelan Cook, here all the way from Houston, here in the hotel in Atlanta for the AMS Training Lab. One of the biggest and best events our team does all year long. I look forward to this one so much. My wife looks forward to this. She's real sad she couldn't be with us this time. But we had such a great time talking with Keelan about the Netflixification that we decided to continue that conversation. I'm going to see how many times I can say it. I was going to say, you're getting better and better at saying it now. Your theater background's really coming through. I'm working on the enunciation. You're doing great. You know, the one, the, the only class I was, and this is true, the only class I was ever asked to tutor anyone in because you have to understand, I'm dyslexic and ADHD, so there are very few things people ask me to yes. tutor them in. That explains a lot, doesn't it? Doesn't it? it? Yep. Yeah. Phonetics. All right. Really? For whatever reason, man, it makes sense in my head. And I memorized the entire phonetic alphabet, had a phonetic dictionary, and I could hear all the different nuances in the sounds. And, I, and so while taking the class, I was tutoring half of the class I was in. Awesome. In phonetics. The only thing I excelled at in college. (laughs) So if nothing else, I can enunciate words correctly. You're very good. All right. So the Netflixification, we were talking about how this on-demand nature, like the shows we just talked about, have become the way people consume church services a lot. And that's... There is a segment of the population in special circumstances where we are grateful that the technology has allowed them to have some connection with the church body and the church service in that way. Uh, but outside of like extenuating special circumstances, when you're doing this just for your convenience, we determined that that's probably not a good idea. Right? And so we were talking about, and here's what I, I would love to continue the conversation. Keelan brought up a good point of if it's being, if we're using media and the technology that we have in this age as an on-ramp into more meaningful, what was it, embodied, what did you say? I, I think I said embodied practice. Embodied practice. He did say it. If we can move an on-ramp into embodied practice, then then that's a good thing. That, yeah. That's a good thing. But how, do, what does that look like? How do you get somebody to drop the convenience of play this whenever I want, while I'm doing whatever, pause it when I need to, whatever. And that's my church. That's what I do. I go to that church. That's my pastor. And because I watch them on YouTube or Facebook. How do we move from that to embodied presence in in the body? 
I kind of have a theory, and I don't know if this is right. You jump so in. You, you can you theory. can dismiss it out of hand, and then okay. try to figure out what you were going to say. But um, <laughs> here's what I here's what I think about what what is it that breaks me out of convenience in my so convenience basically is an exaltation of self mm-hmm. and a priority of self, mm-hmm. and I'm going to do what I want to do when I want to do it, right, or when it's easy for me to do. Yeah. Here's what I'm. Here's what I think. I think suffering and difficulty have an opportunity to break me out of my desire to have always to always have things my way and be convenient. And and so I'm just wondering if that's if that's a part of what we're maybe headed towards and looking because the current cultural trends are typically trending a little less friendly towards embodied practice of Christianity, gathered worship as we've seen in some locations. And then also if we see the cultural trends publicly that orthodox biblical theology on relationships, sexuality, the role of government, et cetera, et cetera. We're, we're kind of in, in one of these in, interesting moments where all of that is out of step with mainstream culture. So are we heading in a time where, where our convenience is going to be under assault because of our practices not being accepted as widely? I don't, I don't know. I mean, yeah, that's, a thought. that's certainly a potential scenario. The number of circumstances that surround that are virtually infinite, but I think there are a whole lot of scenarios that could play out where that's certainly the case. A lot of the things that you said are, in fact, I mean, I mean, they're happening. That's that's right. We're increasingly living in a world now where biblical morality is seen as the exact opposite of morality. We're we're now the immoral yeah. ones yeah. in some ways, yeah. and so intolerant. Yeah, we're intolerant. We're immoral because of our stances for things that the Bible says this is morality, and so you're certainly right that some of that pressure is there. How that plays out is yet to be determined, I think, for us. Though it will it could certainly lead in that direction. I think that's one of the things that we would need to consider there. And I think even then that has the potential to spin in a healthy direction or an unhealthy direction. If that if that pressure does in fact come, does it press us toward one another, which is what it should do, right? Mm-hmm. Or does it press us even further to the ability to clandestinely consume my church in a way that keeps people from knowing I gathered with a church at all. Yeah, he's got something there. That could spin in both directions. Though, your your heart, or the point at the center of what you said, I think is, is right. The heart motive of the individual behind why and what they're doing, I think is, is one primary determiner for how we get people to move back toward it. So I think there's kind of two things here. I finally got around to my answer. I think there's two things here. One, we need to help create a very clear picture of what the church is. Mm -hmm. Two, we need to, at an individual level, challenge our church members to ask them why they are engaging with that. So there's kind of an individual piece to it here, and then there's that corporate piece. I think the pandemic will have given us Uh, a gift in this sense. Uh, We have a real, clear, easy reason right now to revisit with our folk. What is the church? What does it consist of? And what should we be doing together? We, We now have an opportunity to revisit that one. And we've had to change practices enough that we're now in a position to be able to to look at every practice we have been doing both before the pandemic and during the pandemic and ask why why 
why have we been doing that? And some of that stuff should probably get tossed, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are pieces of it that are irreducible to the nature of the church, like being together in person, right? So this allows us to assess that, hopefully come back with a clear understanding of what the church is, and then start communicating that well to our people. This is what it means to be a part of a church. Now, assess yourself. Where do you stand in relationship to that? So when we're trying to communicate that, I'm going to list a couple of strategies, Mm -hmm. and you give them back to me in order of priority. (laughs) Well, the price is right all of a sudden. Yes, this is like a memory game. All right. (laughs) Truck, car, elephants. Strategy number one. I'll have a trunk, by the way. Okay, yes. Tweetable statements in my sermon. Strategy number two. Getting tagged on Preachers and Sneakers Instagram. Oh, gosh. Strategy number three, theologically enriched content that moves people to embodied presence with the church. You know, this is a tough one, Jimbo. <laughs> I think it's probably the last one. Okay. Okay. Though, though the sneakers Instagram is a close second. Are you familiar with Preachers oh, and Sneakers? Oh, man, yeah. yeah. I am. It's, it's, it's interesting. Have you made it? I, no, of course I've not made it. Okay. <laughs> no, no, preachers and loafers. I'd be all over that one. <laughs> all right, so, so I think I think that is key is defining what what is a church, what is meaningful membership, and not meaningful membership as in this is your obligation. Sure, but but what does it actually mean? Yeah, uh, to one biblically, theologically. And then even to to steal from John Piper in a Christian hedonistic way, selfishly, mm-hmm. right? So if we take the Christian hedonism approach of what is what is your path to the greatest joy in life, it's going to involve embodied presence of some level with a right. local church body and helping people see that. And so I was thinking about... When we were talking to Halleck uh, recently, he was talking about the importance right now of my, what he called micro-shepherding mm-hmm. and how we, we do macro-shepherding pretty well uh, from the pulpit. And, and I think relevant to this conversation, all, all you can do is macro-shepherding if we're doing the Netflixification. I mean, and, and not even really well. I mean, it's not even good macro shepherding, but at best you will do macro shepherding. But there's no way in the Netflixification to do micro shepherding to really get connected with people. And so I wonder, could could some micro shepherding strategy where you are assigning to deacons or elders or lay leaders or whoever, here is X amount of people that on paper are members of this church but we have not been blessed with their embodied presence. And so check on them, see how they're doing, talk to them and coach them on what a church means and what membership means and figure out where they're at. I mean, could, and then can we get them in the cycle? I mean, yeah, I I think that's one great way to go about it. So the the macro and micro distinction, I think, is an important one. Uh, you've got uh, he's probably referring to like Whitmer's work there on that one. I'm sure he is. Um, it's, it's he, great. he usually is. Yeah, right. Uh, it's a great book. And yes, all we've been able to do is some shadow form of macro mm-hmm. and some shadow form of micro. There has been a shadow form of micro. So the uh, 
the Zoom small groups. Right, right. right. Somebody can be in a small group. The, the thing that we're running into, though, is it's really hard if the church is just receiving content. Mm-hmm. Then we've been doing macro and micro shepherding. If the church is more than receiving content, if it's, say, one another commands right. that two members of a church are supposed to live out together, yep. then we've been inhibited from doing that on a macro or a micro level. Right. And so it's been anemic on both if all we're doing is relying on this piece. Mm-hmm. So finding some concrete uh, practices in your church that would allow for reconnecting and reengaging with those people and then pressing them towards something better. Assigning people to deacons or assigning people to, to leaders. If you've got a robust small group structure in your church, like that becomes a way to start trying to pull them back toward those things. And so I think that's one really good approach that you just mentioned. Yeah. What I mean, what are other ways that we could make sure that we move beyond the Netflixification and we actually bring people into meaningful connection? Yeah, so if we're if we're thinking through the reality that some people may not want to gather in person, something we started were three 20 run groups where we said three people for 20 minutes together one time a week. And so we gave them the option in person, on Zoom, phone call, that sort of thing. So read a scripture, share what's going on in your life and pray together. Now we know that it's gonna be hard to do that in 20 minutes, but what's happening is people in our church are doing it 321. And so it's like, hey, Here's your 321 group. So we're casting vision for it. We talk about it. People are connecting. And so that's a way that they connect with one another. So we we basically sought to do that. One is to maintain connection in the body, verbal connection in the body. That's good. Because these are the things that happen in uh, the space of conversation as the church is dismissing after the benediction. People hang around, right? COVID policies told us we weren't supposed to do that, but we pretty much ignored that, right? So we we have our masks on. We we connect. So I'm wondering if that aspect for us is helping us build some of that in to share the burden of shepherding. And here's what I wrestle with. Um, A lot of the shepherding that we think about is we think about the shepherd shepherding rather than the body doing the work of a shepherd amongst itself. So this gets me to think about uh, the past, the one another passages and then the exhortation passages and the encouraging one another passages and all those sorts of things. And I think Maybe in a counterintuitive way, the breaking up of the regular pattern of gathering where everybody faces the front and sings and listens and doesn't really do any kind of significant things. Maybe if we utilize that and built in some opportunities for people to actually do the one another's and pray for one another and remind each other of scripture and exhort one another wonder if if the the climate might be ripe for us to plant some of that within our bodies. I think you're spot on there, Bob. The fact that we've not been doing in-person gatherings is the perfect time for us to ground up, reassess mm-hmm. our liturgy. Mm-hmm. Like ev- like everything the meet and greet, what how many songs are we gonna include? Are we gonna do songs? How's the room gonna be like now is an opportunity for us to really blow up some of the paradigms there if we wanted to. They don't have to be blown up. But we can be thoughtful about how we're doing that. And I think you, you, the way you structure that corporate worship service itself can start to increase and heighten uh, participation. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead of it being built more around a spectator model, we start 
engaging people in that. And if you change that kind of thing, as people start coming back or experience it, then it it does. It, it casts a different vision for what this time is for. I think that's so so key. I've been thinking about that too. Of have we have maybe accidentally set ourselves up for the Netflixification because mm-hmm. we've trained people Spectator. to come sit and spectate, mm-hmm. and so for them it doesn't really feel that different to be at home and watch it on their phone while they're cooking dinner, right? Because it's not necessarily significantly any different than what they did when they came on Sunday morning. Because they came and they sat there and they spectated and there was no participation. And so we kind of set ourselves up for this. And I think you're right that we we have an opportunity right now to, to clearly define what a church is, clearly define what membership is, and rethink and figure out. And I don't know what that would look like. I've thought about this a lot, and I don't know. I've thought if I were really, truly in charge of an entire worship service and I wanted to make it as rich biblically as in, in really a gathering, what would that look like? And I I mean, I haven't come up with a final answer to that. Sure. Uh, I'll tell you one thing that I've seen a couple of our churches uh, in Houston do as churches have started to regather, uh, and this is just spitballing here, but a heightened um, focus on prayer in the corporate worship service. Mm-hmm. And you can do some neat things when you break people down into groups to pray for an extended mm-hmm. period of time in that corporate worship gathering. That's much more participatory. It feels very weird. You know, the church has been in a spectator mode for a long time to say, you five people, now go sit over in the corner for 10 or 15 minutes. Pray intensely. Yeah, how do you put that on Facebook? You don't, right? Right. Yeah. So Prior to the pandemic, our church did that pretty regularly. Yeah. And I would often get feedback from very introverted people like Mm -hmm. hey that was super awkward for me (laughs) you just made me stand in a group with people and I only thing I knew to do is lovingly say like hey I know this is a stretch but that's kind of what we're doing here yeah and and so I I do want to respect different personalities and perspectives and those things you don't have to pray out loud you can just stand in that group and let them, and you just ignore them. Pretend like you're not there. And but like, let's just take a step. And you know, when we did that prior to the pandemic, it was it was very meaningful for us. But that's hard. That's that is because it's not spectator driven. Mm-hmm. It doesn't translate to the Netflixification. It doesn't. So the idea that Keelan has of pre-producing something for either the person that is homebound or the the general public that's a onlooker, right? Mm-hmm. So can I can I come from left field on a couple come of on. things? We got like five minutes left. Okay, so well, swing it. All right. So we've been talking about you, we've been joking about the youth group postcard, but every kid that went to youth group youth camp came back really it changed from the experience of hearing preaching in the morning, the midday, and the evening. But more often than not, there was some sort of youth group share time, right? Mm-hmm. Around a campfire or in a pavilion where people talked about what the Lord had said to them that day in terms of the, what, an insight that they get. And so I'm going to be careful. I'm not talking about the audible, you know, we're, we're you know what I'm saying, right? We're, we're getting a place where people like, oh, the Lord spoke to you. Like, no, we can't do that. You know, that kind of yes. thing. But there's some sort of interaction that the Holy Spirit impressed upon them through the teaching of God's word. And we would casually say in youth group culture, God spoke to me, right? And yeah. we, we all know what we meant by that. Yeah. So 
we don't bear testimony in the public worship service on a whole that I, that I've been a part of in in, in many years. Like I don't see that. So so then we're getting off into this whole area of you know. First Corinthians 14, they get the prophecy, and I'll just I'll go on record, and I've said this from public uh, publicly as a as a pastor. I'm not a cessationist, right? Um, I'm more of a continuationist. Our tens of thousands of listeners now know that about you. Yes, it's tens a, of thousands. It's, it's officially public. Yeah. it's out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I wrestle with is like um, the cut and paste of First Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. It's like we keep 12 and 13, and we cut out most of 14. And we kind of toss it. Wait, there's a 14th chapter. <laughs> I thought it skipped straight to Yes, <laughs> but I wrestle with that, Logan, because sure, I sure. I think that it's defined, and we've had some really wacky prophecies, you know, right. like prophetic. But prophecy is defined as I read it in in First Corinthians 14 is speaking for the edification, the building up of the body of Christ. So it's got to be consistent with Scripture, and it's got to be weighed. It's not it's not authoritative. It's edifying, right? I, I tell you, so. <laughs> I mean, you guys know my, like, I grew up in this backwoods, Baptist. Snakes I mean, snakes yeah, and chicken blood? Man, I tell you, right? <laughs> I was independent, kind of fundamental Baptist background. It's kind of what I was raised in. And uh, we, we had, like, we had regular periods for testimony built into our services. And, of course, every now and then you'd have that person that would get up and, like, where in the world did what they just said come from, <laughs> right? But more often than not, you know, people that had just struggled with a sickness were able to talk about God's provision, uh, his faithfulness to something. People that had a real need that the Lord had met were able to edify the whole body by giving a verbal testimony to God's faithfulness to their family. And that was a sweet moment. And we just don't do stuff like that in church anymore. Do you think we don't do that because... We desire a higher production level. You're meddling now, but yes. <laughs> and so, in order to have a good high production level, I need to be able to control all the elements, right? And and so, that means I can't just let anybody have the mic. I think that's a big piece of it. Uh, you can't control how long they talk yeah. uh, without telling them to, you know, sit down. You've, you've been going too long, Susie. Yeah. And you have no idea what's fixing to come out of their mouth. Yeah. And so, when worship is Production that has no room. There's no place for that. Which this is a whole other conversation, which I do think is tied into everything we're talking about, right? That we've what we've done is really realized or talked about the fact that Netflixification is not a new concept. It's just gone digital, right? Mm, yeah. Really, we've been breeding this consumeristic spectator production-based way of doing church for a while now. And now we're bearing fruit of that digitally. And so as we, re, as we have the opportunity to rethink things, one of the things we need to rethink is, is this a production or, I mean, what, and, and this is maybe, so listener, what you've got to figure out, right? What is church? How do you answer that question? What, what is the purpose of people gathering into that building? What, why, why are they doing it? And I think we have to figure out, really wrestle biblically and not just with our emotions, we have to wrestle biblically with that question and come to an answer that has biblical convictions and then make sure that everything we do comes out of that. 
out of, out of that wrestling and those convictions. Because I, I love the idea of hearing testimonies from people, hearing from others, but it's just, it's, it, it is hard and scary because I, I've had some crazy people come through my church. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I, it, you know, do I want to give them the microphone? And, and, I, and I don't know that that's the answer. I'm not saying that is the answer, but I do think the way we've been doing things has led to the Netflixification and made it go digital. So now we got to figure out what is church. So, so maybe, and here's the other correlated part for me, maybe the way we've been doing our liturgy in the absence of those sorts of things have left people really experiencing something that's very easy to explain because it, it's the same thing happens over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And if there's not this inbreaking of the spirit moving and leading in the worship experience and this public edification that mm-hmm. that takes place then why why would i make appointment time for it for it when it's happening live mm-hmm. if it's just going to be something that's very predictable so right. so that's the thing i wrestle with and you know when when we're when hebrews exhorts us to um not give up the meeting of the body. It tells us there's a specific reason for us not to do that. And the reason is that we might spur one another on towards loving good deeds, right? Yeah. Well, what is that? That that has the idea of of actually of striking, of spurring, of like yeah. stimulating. Yeah. And how do, how do we do that corporate? The, that verse has a plurality and a corporate aspect mm-hmm. of it rather than a singularity. Yeah. And so I think we've missed something maybe in our liturgy and now we're kind of venturing into territory of like, okay, we, I don't know that we have a category for this. In in my experience, I don't have a category for this. Keelan, in your background with your, your fundamental, mm-hmm. you know, Tennessee folk, uh, Baptist, you have an expression of that. But I think largely that's pretty absent mm-hmm. in our gatherings now. Yeah, no, I think that's increasingly true. I, th- I think it's absent. And, and a lot of different traditions at this point. I think that's the thing that you you probably saw the testimony more frequently in Southern Baptist churches uh, and most evangelical churches 20 years ago than you do now. And so much of that, I think, is the fact that we have increasingly moved toward us. And we do it under the guise of the word excellence. We love using that word right now. And don't mishear me. I think we should work hard to, to do everything well. But that word allows us to cover a multitude of sins if we're not careful. Mm-hmm. And is it also maybe it's an excuse for this, potentially? Maybe our discipleship is lacking, and the testimony time exposes the deficit of our discipleship mm-hmm. by the wacky things that people say. That's a sting, but you're right. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. That that's some gin music. Yeah, that's some gin music. <laughs> and on that, that's a wrap for the Netflix vacation of the church. Thank you, Keelan, for being our resident missiologist and coming in on these couple episodes here in the hotel. And uh, look forward to future episodes. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, a resource for replanters by replanters. If you enjoyed this episode or found it to be helpful for you and your ministry, please help us get the word out by subscribing, sharing, and leaving us a review on your favorite podcast listening platform. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital. 180 Digital is a team of design, development, and marketing experts that love working with churches big and small. Check out 180.church, O-N-E-E-I-G-H-T-Y.church to learn more about how 180 can help your church move forward.